Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Audience, I'm so excited. We have a return guest today and you will know who this is. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you will know who this guest is. John, why don't you tell him who you brought back, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> oh, here we go. Tim <laughs> by wine guy. That's his title now. Tim by wine guy. Uh, Tim and I are dear friends. Uh, Tim, I was introduced to him a while back. Uh, he actually helped us uh, with the Copper Beach story way back when he, he was a recruiter. He got us involved with the broker deal that we currently work with. So Tim, Tim goes way back 14 years ago, but happens to be a very, very uh, good wine specialist that we, we kind of got to know each other over time. And uh, he's been teaching me about wine for years because I was one of those cab guys, right, Tim? I was a cab guy. <laughs> he's laughs. He still laughs. So he's a more of a world worldwide wine specialist, Italian, French, Spanish, pretty much around the world. So we always bring Tim on occasionally to kind of take us through some regions and talk about the wine in that region and, and just have a great dialogue. So Tim, welcome back. Hey, thanks, John. Always a pleasure. Michael's here too. Yeah. Oh said, yeah, I'm, I'm hello, Michael. Hi, Tim. <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> I'm probably not going to be doing as much talking today on this. I'm just going to be sitting back, um, scowling at my father while you guys talk about your trip to France that that I couldn't go on. <laughs> he's, so he's jealous. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, so I'm very interested to learn more about about what you guys are going to talk about for sure. I'll chime in, I'm sure, here and there. Yeah, and, and I, Tim, I'll, I'll kick it off. I, I I thought our wine trip to France just recently, uh, we had such a great time, learned a massive amount about that region that I think a lot of our listeners might be very, very fascinated to, to understand what makes that region so special and why it's the it's the kind of the best wine in the world. And I thought maybe we just kind of kicked it off and talk about the Bordeaux region, left bank, right bank wines, uh, and get your expertise and let's let's dial down into how we spent our trip, which was a which is an absolute blast. Tim, we drank a lot of wine. Oh boy, did we ever. Oh boy, did we drink a lot of wine. The second we got on the train, we started drinking wine. Ah, yeah, that train ride was special. Anyway, <laughs> before we get on that train ride, why don't you give uh, everybody a little bit of your background, uh, just in case people haven't heard those other podcasts. Sure. And how, have you learned wine and, and how you traveled the countryside years ago and how you, how you developed your, uh, your taste for uh, French wines? Yeah, so a quick review. I started uh, drinking wine right after I got out of college. I went to grad school out in Cal State uh, Fullerton. So I was living with my brother at the time until I could get my own place to live. And he started to introduce me to wine. I was a beer guy. And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, what is Good stuff?" <laughs> so, you know, it's a it's a journey of self-education, but also one of, of just more passion and interest. You know, anytime you have passion in something, I think you really go for trying to understand it all. And the more you dive into something like, um, you know, how wines are made and the regions and all this stuff, you, you, you really appreciate how much knowledge is out there and how much little, how much little knowledge you have. And so I spent about the last 35 years just learning, you know, the regions of wine, the grapes, the different ways of making wine and, and, you know, you talk to literally hundreds of winemakers around the world. And I started off in California, which I still like California wines, John. I mean, we 
We I, I tease you. I tease you. So anyway, I, I kind of focused on old world wines, which I call more uh, France, Italy, and Spain. And uh, Bordeaux being one I was always fascinated with just because the history of the place is just incredible. You know, we're going back 1,200 years making wine. It's it's really one of those regions. There's uh, Just to put it in perspective, just in Bordeaux, which is a kind of the southwestern side of France there on the coast, and uh, there's seven over 7,000 wineries, basically, chateaus that make wine just in that Bordeaux region. So put that in perspective, there's about 7,000 in the entire United States. And, you know, U.S. compared to Bordeaux, I mean, what, what a difference in size, right? So you th- these are people that are very passionate about making wine. And there's all kinds of different appellations. But so in 1855, and, and um, uh, John, we've talked about this, there's, yes. there was a Bordeaux classification. And, and Napoleon III was the one who actually organized it and got it going. And he got all the brokers in that region to rank wines according to their, their reputation and their price point of what they were trading their wines for. So they had five first gross, and then they had second gross, third gross, fourth gross, and fifth gross. But with, with all these modern day techniques of uh, making wine today, it's changed the whole landscape over there. As an example, John, you remember Ponte Canet, right? Yep. Okay. I have a couple so of those cases of my gross. That's a fifth gross. Right. And so is Lynch Bosch. Chateau uh, Lynch Bosch is also a fifth gross. And they're by no means any lesser than, I, I don't think. They're outstanding wines. They're absolutely delicious. Yeah. And so they, they classified them in first growth. So it's the land, it's the winery they classified. Unlike Burgundy, where they classify the land, the exact meter of land, the the actual footprint of where that land is, how it faces towards the sun on the southern side of the hill. So you had Chateau Margaux, Chateau Lafitte, Chateau Latour, and Chateau Mouton Rochelle, which is Baron Rochelle's winery, was added in 1973 because I think he was twisting <laughs> twisting a few arms, you know, to get in. Yeah, he had a little net worth to do that, did he? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, and then you have Aubryon, which is in Graves, which is really not Bordeaux. It's it's a little south of the city of Bordeaux. I think you, you remember going through Bordeaux. Bordeaux is actually a pretty good-sized city, but going through Bordeaux, if you go south, we hit into Graves, which is where um, Chateau Aubryon is. But, yep. but those are the five first gross, and after that, the list is is huge of how many different wineries are listed under this classification. Hey, Tim, so, talk about the first growth, the fifth growth. A lot of people don't understand what, why that's important. You want to walk, want to walk through that? Yeah, first growth is really just they're classified as a first growth. In other words, the most admired winemaking organization and, and property that they have in Bordeaux. So let's take Chateau Margaux, which is in the appellation of Margaux. It is the premier wine producer, first growth. And their bottle, their wine typically goes for around six to $800 a bottle on release. And as you know, you can see some of them go to $2,500 to $10,000 a bottle. As, as they Crazy, age. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane kind of pricing. But Bordeaux, I think, got a lot of attention as it grew in the early years in the 60s and 70s. And all of a sudden, then when all the uh, uh, Chinese and the Japanese started buying wine, 
they would just go in and try to buy out the whole lot. And so that just drove, drove up the prices. But as you know, on our trip, we had so many unbelievable experiences in the small little producers. And we were, we were drinking on the left and the right bank. And they, they were just phenomenal. I mean, when you look down the list of places we went, John, I mean, it caused Astor now. That was a Saint of Steph. Let me just review real quickly the different regions there is you have uh, on the left bank, it's St. Estef, which is where, where Cause d'Esternel was. And then you have Puyac, then you have St. Julian, and then Margot. Those are the four major regions on the left bank in Bordeaux. On the right bank, as you know, it's Pomerol and St. Emilion were the two regions we were in. Yes, There's a couple more uh, lesser ones there, but but those are the two primary ones. And what separates left bank and right bank is the grapes that uh, are the primary grape in each of their wines. So on the left side, Cabernet Sauvignon is the influencer. It's the most widely used. On the right bank, it's Merlot, as you know. Right. And um, the most widely grown grape in all of Bordeaux, left and right bank, is actually Merlot. A lot of people don't know that. But so you have five grapes, Cabernet Sauvignon, the Merlot, Cap Franc, Petit Verdot, and Malbec. Those are the five main ones there's a couple more in there that they can use, but those are the five ones that that most of the wineries make over there. But but our experience was was really going uh, to a lot of wineries on the right side, and and you can kind of talk about that because I saw your li- eyes light up a couple times when we were going to some of those places. Uh, it was awesome. I mean, it, the whole Saint-Emilion region, it, it 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 tips points well taken. If you look at how they blend their grapes to make their wines. On the Santa Milione side of of the fence, it's more Merlot, less Cab Franc. So I think it was sixty five percent, Tim, if I'm not mistaken, to thirty five percent, maybe one percent Melbac. I think or Petit Syrah. I can't remember the exact mix. Right. And on, on the on the other side, it's more of a, a Cab Franc with Merlot as a as a as a part of the blend. So it, it's really. Each region was different, but the wines are all spectacular. But I fell in love with Saint-Emilion wines. It's more of a Merlot. Now, I'm not typically a Merlot guy, but the way they blend their grapes there, it's something special. I, we And the pricing was incredibly low. I mean, would you agree? We drank some of the best wines I've ever had for $45 or 45 euros a bottle. Which you said we would look at ourselves and say, "How is this only forty five dollars?" It was it, it's unbelievable. So we we just we we drank a lot of good wine from a lot of good wineries. Yep, we sure did. And, what is and, a, 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 Can I ask a a rookie? No, he's question not allowed no, here. He's not, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, what Tim? What is it about the Bordeaux area that that makes it you know so famous? Essentially, is it is it the environment? Is it the Sun uh, exposure. I mean, what is it about the region that makes it so special? It's it's that river, Michael, that kind of runs through it. If if you look at it's it's an estuary basically. It's a Giron estuary that divides into two rivers. Beautiful. We drove over it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean it's it's just fabulous. So what happens is they've lined the wineries up on these hillsides on each side, and on the right bank it's a little more flat. On the left bank it's a little more hillier. And it's different soil composition. So when the river was made, you know, millions of years ago, uh, it had more sediment to the right, different uh, clay. And and to the left, it had more stones and gravel and limestone. And when you grow uh, a 
particular varietal like Cabernet Sauvignon on the left side, it just flourishes. It does so much better. And it gives such an intense flavor to the wines. So that's why you see the, the blending being more Cabernet Sauvignon based on the left. On the right side, it's more clay. And so it's more adaptive for Merlot. And Merlot is a little softer, fruitier. It's yeah. it's more of a what I would call a feminine type of wine. But boy, is it unbelievable when you mix it with a little Cabernet Franc and and a couple other blending grapes, potentially. It, it's just, it's a unique kind of situation that sits there, you know, close to the ocean in the, in the weather climate. Is it's, it's cool nights a lot of times because they get the influence from the, the ocean and, and it's warmer days. And then the stones hold uh, the heat in. So it, it kind of cooks the, it, it cooks the base of the, of, of the vines keeps the heat in them longer at night and then they cool off in the morning and so it's a, it's a, like a perfect uh, wine growing region really i would assume that that's how because I, I know napa in california is you know i think the main wine that most people would associate there is is cabernet sauvignon i'm assuming they did that because of the bordeaux region correct or a similar type of terrain that's correct i mean cabernet sauvignon is probably the most widely grown grape anywhere in the world and it's adapted very well to california the other interesting thing mike is in bordeaux you cannot drip farm you can drip farm for the first i think four years john is that what is that four what years they, that's what he said yeah I mean, and, and so what that means is when you put in new vines you can water them for four years and after that it's all up to god in california no, no, no. <laughs> they, they they drop water on it whenever they please. They just turn on the faucet. <laughs> so they have more of a controlled environment where where Europe is really, you know, their their belief is you got to let nature do its whatever it does. You know, you got to let the rain fall when it falls and you got to adapt to making wine that way. And, and in California, it's a dry climate, as we all know, most of the year. And so they they supplement it by watering the vines whenever they, they feel it needs it. But I feel like grape vines do better when they're stressed. And this is what Bruno Bori told me one time. I'm I'm over there on the left bank at his winery. His family owns uh, Petrus, as you know, one of the most expensive wines. Premier, absolutely. And also he owns Ducru Bocayu, which is a left bank wine. And he was telling me, I won't use the uh, the, the exact language. <laughs> he might not be rated on here, Eric. Um, but he said, you know, we just try not to screw up what God gave us. He says, when when we, we have this very blessed, it's called blessed stone is what he calls it. We have the blessed stones. And all we try to do is, is compliment as much as we can what nature gave us. So um, th th they've learned to adapt to the climate and the rain and everything else and how to make Great wines in any weather condition where California wines are, they're lucky that they can do this. There's no impediment to them, you know, watering or uh, cultivating their grapes in that way. Yeah, it, 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 we talked about this in the past. I think when we talked about the the Piedmont region, uh, the Nebbiolo grape, it's the only place that Barolo wine can be grown is in, in that area. If you take that Nebbiolo grape and plant it anywhere else on the planet, it doesn't grow as well. So certain right. regions can only handle certain certain grapes, but Cab seems to be developed pretty much anywhere. Chile has some great Cab regions, obviously yep. the United States, Bordeaux. It's it's kind of a grape that's real strong, and it's it's you grow that pretty much anywhere. Am I correct? Absolutely, yeah. Tim. Look at him, huh? He's he's getting it finally. Yeah, him and Mario. I tell you, your uncle Mario, he was. He was 
he's hooked. He was a Pinot Gris guy. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't get me started on that. That'll, that's not good for this podcast. That's another conversation for another day. But but let's uh, let's talk about the rating of the wines. We talked about that is a certain level of wine these ratings these these vineyards have that they're dropping out of that rating now. For, can you want what it's fascinating that how people are rebelling against some of those rating folks. Is that I don't know why I want to discuss that, but I think that was fascinating. Yeah. You, you mean Parker and the yep. wine spectator, yeah. those kind yep. of people. Yeah. Yep. Anthony, Anthony Gallio uh, out of yep. uh, Italy. Yeah. There's so Parker is an interesting story. You know, he started in college and was really just intrigued by Bordeaux. And so as he went there as a young man, he, he became more and more interested in that wine region. And so he just started a business basically saying, wow, I really like this wine. Here's why. And you know how they describe it. It's like you're drinking something of a noble nobility brought down from God. And so they rate these wines and all of a sudden this whole industry caught on. And and personally, I don't appreciate them because I think you got to have your journey and figure out what wines you like. I mean, Michael, you like, you know, let's face it, you like Brunello's and I mm-hmm. like Rolo's. I like Nebbiola grape and you like more of the Sangiovese Grosso. And so we have different opinions. It doesn't mean that I would rate a, I might rate a wine different than you might. And so I think there's a lot of subjective kind of rankings out there. But as we get into more, there's more and more of these people out there that are giving ratings today. I think there's something like 50 different organizations now, but Parker being one of the the primary and wine spectator being Who, who's telling us what what wine specialist did we talk to at that vineyard that knew Parker and how right he was how good he was yeah now he's retired who, who was that I remember who I, he was. I can't remember who that was I remember we I think it was in Saint Emilion when we we're in that town yeah they were sharing that Parker you know all he's retired for Brady now. But but they, they had a conversation with him one afternoon. He picked the he picked the wine out who said some wine was going to be fabulous four years from now. It turned out to be won all kinds of awards. I mean, the, the guy really knew his wines. But since he's retired, but but you really learn about that rating services. You have to be careful. And to your point, Tim, you can't just go by the ratings. You have to go by what you're what you like. Because I've had three star rated uh, wines that are exceptional because they fit my palate. I, I enjoy them. So it's so it's really don't be so so prejudiced about, about about certain wines because the ratings are might, might not be five star to three star, but I think they're all if it's just like what you like. Yeah, and and then the other part of this we've talked about this before, John and Mike, is that putting some wines down, you know, aging them a little bit. When you go out to buy a bottle of wine today, let's say you're buying a maybe a 2019, a 2020 Bordeaux, a 2018 Bordeaux. That, that wine needs uh, a number of years of sitting at around anything below 60 degrees is what I recommend. And, 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 and try it in about another three, four, five years. So this is called, this is part of the definition of a wine collector is that you're buying wines to drink later. Wines that you like now or wines that maybe you trust whoever rated it and that's okay. And, and then you're putting it in some kind of a you know, closed environment where the temperature is controlled, it, it doesn't fluctuate, and there's no light. And if you do all that and wait at least five years and, and then open the wine, give it about an hour to breathe and open up and drink it, I think you'll you'll find you you have a new hobby in life that <laughs> that could cause you a lot of monetary investment. <laughs> and by the way, we got a nod from a bunch of producers there that the 2022 Bordeaux grapes 
or in that region are going to be stellar bottles. I mean, is that, is that am I reading that right, Tim? What do you yep. said, share with us? Yep. So, but again, to Tim's point, if you buy a 2022 bottle of wine, it's going to be what four or five years from now where it's going to be released. Yeah, it's usually about four years. Yeah. And then you have to hold it for ten to hit its peak. <laughs> so, so to wine collectors, that's important. They they collect wines for value, but if you want to drink it, you know you have to like, three or four years out. You could probably start drinking that wine after it's released. It's it's going to be fabulous. You can hold it, make it even better. Each year it gets better, then it peaks. So that's well, about you know, years. as you know, John, I just bought a, a case of um, of 2016 Aubryon, which had 400 Ouch. point ratings. Ouch. Yeah. I can only and say, ouch, what he paid for that. You won't be able to drink that. Literally, yeah. I don't think you'd be able to drink that. And let's see, what is it, 2023 right now? I'd say you could start drinking it around 2030. Yeah, I would say that's maybe. Right. Yeah. Yep. How long does uh, what, does Bordeaux typically last uh, longer from that standpoint, Tim, than some other wines? Like it can be, yeah. can, can it be kept for, you know, decades and still taste good or does it turn to vinegar? Oh, no, no. It can go 30 years. Michael, easy. Yeah. You know, it, it can go. It's a storage. It's how you store it. Right. Point, if it's a dark, it's a, under 60 degree temperature, it'll last longer. No doubt. Let's, let's talk about the white wines, John. Oh, yeah. What did you like? I liked them all. <laughs> they're, they're all good. <laughs> he, he liked them more the more that he had of the wine. I'm sure that's usually how it works, right? Is they start tasting uh, better the more you have? Uh, I think that's how it worked, wasn't it, Tim? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just okay. <laughs> no, yeah, the white mean, wine. Go ahead. So the so the grapes and the white wine there are are Simeon and Sauvignon Blanc, and so it's a blended uh, of those two primary grapes. And there's some other ones, but but that's a white Bordeaux typically. And this time of year, I, I encourage anybody listening to this to go it's out awesome. and try a white Bordeaux because they are just they're fabulous. If you're going to eat. Something like a shelf food, uh, let's say shrimp or clams, uh, clam casino. I think they even go with that, John. That's oh, I think you make that in your sleep, don't you? I've been known to make clams casino, yes, <laughs> in my sleep. <laughs> but that'd be a great one. You ought to try one, uh, uh, one of those white Bordeaux with that. Yeah, I have some, I have some in my cellar. I'm gonna go, yeah. And it. remember, um, so we are at Cause to Esther now, and Mario buys that for. Your, his sister-in-law, right? Remember right. that? Uh-huh. Sandy, yeah. And they only had, I think it was only had two, uh, one hectare or one and a half hectare, which Very is small, three yeah. acres of grapes that they grew for that wine. And I remember him buying it and, and he didn't ask the price. And when he told him how much it was, he, Mario, <laughs> he kind of had like a look on his face like, how much? 160 euros. <laughs> it was I about 100, it was. Yeah, 160 euros, about almost $180. Yeah. But Sandy enjoyed it. So did we. I think we all had a little taste. Yeah, we of all drank it. Yeah, yeah, it was delicious. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. And, and a little plug on Inspirato. I thought that house was just amazing, John. Yeah, it, it's Inspirato. People don't know Inspirato. It's a, it's, a, it's a real estate club that I've been a member of for years. And they have all these very uh, fabulous uh, locations around the world, actually, where uh, you could rent them uh, for a week or more. more. And uh, we've been doing that uh, for a while. I'll tell you, we did that. Uh, where did we go? Went to uh, with you. It's went to Vail, Vail, Colorado, and uh, went, went to, to the Sp- islands. Islands, yep. Uh, Italy, didn't you? Didn't you go no, to? One, oh no, no. Yeah, yeah, one yeah, in t- Italy. No, Tuscany. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Tuscany. Yep. You've been about five five places, but but we picked these places out because they're they're all five star. They come with all type of 
uh, amenities and services. And it makes it easier for us to just go out and wine taste. We come back and all our beds are made. We have we shopping's done. We have chefs come in two, three nights a week. And it wasn't that expensive to do that, but it's it's we do that because we want to spend more time in the vineyards and traveling, tasting different wines, worried about what do we have for lunch. So we ate, ate out a lot, and we, we went back to to the farmhouse, and we had chefs come in and made us some dinner. Uh, but it was a fantastic week, no doubt. Yeah, and and also you you do this for your clientele. Anybody has access that's one of your clients. Yep. They all have access to the club through me. Correct. I mean, that's a phenomenal benefit if you're working with Copper Beach. I'm not, you know, saying anything. I I wouldn't say. Did you send him a hundred bucks for that, Michael? Did you send him a hundred bucks? For uh, that? I will now. Yes. I okay. <laughs> no, but I mean that that really is a special. Yeah, it is. Yeah, my clients love it. Yeah, they do. Um, and it's so, good. where are we going next, John? <laughs> well, actually, that's the next topic. So, not the next topic, the next introduction that we're. Planning a trip as we speak to uh, Barcelona and then to Sicily. I love Sicilian wines. Not one of Tim's favorites, although you like them. It's just not one of his favorites. Uh, But we're going to travel there, and that's our next adventure. Because, as I said earlier, you have to try different wines to kind of build your palate, what you like. I like the mineral side of the Sicilian wines. That whole region, a lot of minerals in in the mountains there. And I I just like that that texture of the wine. I just enjoy it. Uh, so we're going to go there, and we're going to go out to Barcelona, which is the Aroha region. We we love Spanish wines. We we'll we try to get Muga, Tim. We try to get to to the Muga vineyards. Yeah, yeah. But I think uh, we get a Muga. Yeah, I think we get a Muga. So so our next adventure is going to be to Spain because Spain Spanish wines. I think we talked about Spanish wines in the past. I think so. Yeah, but yeah, yeah we did. We did a whole. Yep, they're very inexpensive for the quality. Like I still today, one of my favorite wines is Muga, which is an Aroha, and it does three or four levels of that wine, but every level is awesome. And it's not really that expensive. Uh, it's pretty reasonable. So yeah. uh, so we're going to try that, but we're going to keep traveling. And, and I'm, I'm not sure we're going to go next. Maybe maybe uh, Uruguay. We talked about going to Uruguay, yeah. which is a Merlot region. So we're going to go probably uh, look at that. So we're we're going to spend the we're, – we're, we're, we're too old to sit around. we got to do some moving and shake. Right, John, Tim? I, I- I got a parachute out of the next flight, though. I got to go see Giacomo Conterno again. I miss yeah, him. Yeah, we have to go see Giacomo. Yeah, <laughs> he's a, he's our good friend up in uh, Piedmont region. He's one one of our whole families to come, and what a what a delightful man he was. But there was a guy who spent what three hours with us, two hours with us. Oh my god, we, he wouldn't leave. His dad, he wants to leave, stay for dinner. Uh, it was great. But at Tim's point earlier, he, he's met a lot of very good people along the way that always invite us back. Please come back. We we really like you guys. You're knowledgeable. You're experienced. They love wine people because they know you understand when they tell you certain things that makes their wine special. So it's really a lot of fun. We just have a blast doing it. So you know the other thing too, John. Real quick, let me interrupt. Is I would tell anybody who's listening, if you're a client of Copper Beach, we are happy to set up wine tastings for you in places that you can't get in. I mean, these are these are very special relationships and. You will have a blast. It will be one of the best trips you've ever done. And you don't have to build your whole trip around it. I think what you could do is put a couple in here, a couple in there, go do some sightseeing, maybe in uh, in Siena if you're in uh, Central oh, Italy. Siena was awesome. Was the Siena beautiful? Wow. What a trip that was. Yeah. I mean, it, it's such a fun way to do it. And and meet the local. These are the real local people, too. I mean, yeah. and they treat you like, like you're royalty. I mean, it's really amazing. So Tim, if you were gonna, uh, if you were a, 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 a someone who wasn't knowledgeable in Bordeaux, 
give us five recommendations to the listeners on where they would start and try a certain wine, certain like year, uh, if that's possible, if you could pick that out of your head. Uh, and let, let's go through the top five to try to give them something to do over the summer. You mean the top five wineries? No, no, top five wines that they should start tasting. Was, was it is it Saint-Million, that region? Would you do the Madoc region? There's so many different regions to buy some wine. Which five would you pick? Well, I, I would go I would go left bank to start with. I would do the wines like Pouillac and Saint Estephe and these different wineries like um you know, and they're not going to be really expensive, but I think you can get a good deal. One of mine that I like is Chateau Les Combes, L-A-S-C-O-M-B-E-S. It's a, it's a Margot wine. It's very delightful. You're not going to pay an arm and a leg for it, but it'll give you the true nature of the left bank. Chateau uh, Bron Contenac is another one. Well, we have that. Yeah, yeah we've, we've had that. had that a couple times, actually. Yes. Yep. Chateau Lagrange is is another one. Lagrange, Lagrange, however you want to say it. There, there's Chateau Latour. Uh, obviously, in those first growths, they're, they're they're too pricey, but but that's where I would start. And then on the right bank where we were, John, there's so many uh, Saint Emilions and Pomerols out there. Pomerol's going to be a little bit lighter. It's going to look a little bit more like a Burgundy, like a Pinot Noir, but very fragrant. And, and oh, I and love Pomerol. We had a great a bunch of great bottles of that. So it's like, what did we go to that last one? Remember the man, the the owner was at uh, Chateau uh, Dest. Destue? Destue, yeah. Yep. He was fascinating. Uh, oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. Yep. He what, was unbelievable. What a fun time we had with him. And he was showing us around. And and the, and I remember I took a picture of his cellar and it had the red lights. Remember the red lights? Yep, on the I do. Yep. I, I'm going to blow that up into a picture. It, it turned out great. I mean, it's yeah. such a cool place. But, but he anyway, was a good I teacher. Was, he was a great teacher. He spent yes, he a couple hours with us. And we had the ladies with us who were not as deep in wine as we are. But they were fascinated by his stories. And his yep. history and how he just runs this vineyard himself and he just does a great job. But I, I would go, I would tell you to go to Saint Emilion and you know, anything around that fifty dollar price point, try it, see if you like it. And if you like it, buy some and put it away, buy a little wine fridge or something, or or if you're enthusiastic about it, you can build a wine cellar like John and Michael did. And uh, and it's already full. <laughs> yeah, yes. I got boxes stocked, stacked up, and I got six more cases coming from our wine trip to France. Remember how many cases did we buy? Oh boy, I bought four. I think I bought six. Four. Yeah, I because I, I I like the one. I, I just like the ones I I drank a lot. Talk about the white wine too. Let's let's talk about the recommendation on your side for white wine. I mean, these, well, the white burgundies they're really inexpensive. I think yeah. you can get them from any producer, but I'd get them from the left bank myself. Yeah. I think they're uh, I, I think they're more reasonably priced, and, and they're going to be more Simeon based and a little bit of Sauvignon Blanc, just depending on the wines. So yeah, they're not sweet. They're not a sweet wine, right? But but they're they're very dry, and I yeah. think you'd love them this time of year. I would just go into your local wine store and just say, "What's your best left bank?" Our, our Bordeaux white white Bordeaux wine, that you and you'll have. you'll impress the wine guy <laughs> when you talk exactly. about left bank white bank because a lot of people don't understand why don't, don't know what that is. Yeah, total wine. If you're in a in a bigger town that has a total yeah. wine, that's a good shop to go look for some white Bordeaux that that might have some good ones there. Hey Tim, listen, this was great as usual. Uh, I guess we'll update everybody from our Spain trip and our Sicily trip, the next adventure. 
But yeah, I want to thank you for your time today. It was great. Any thoughts for anybody, Tim, that you have? Any recommendations for any, yeah. maybe outside of Bordeaux? Maybe it's a, another wine that you had recently that's not from that region? Might want to recommend. Well, I'm a big Burgundy fan too, John, as yep. you know. Yes. And, and Burgundy is a complicated area. It's very expensive also, unless you kind of go off grid and, and find some local producers. So I would tell you to try some wines in what, what's called the Bone region, B B E A U N N E. That's a little town that's kind of centrally located between north uh, of Burgundy and, and south Burgundy. And I would try some Bone First Growth, I mean, Premier Cruz, any of those producers in that category, I think you're going to you're going to have a really good wine and it'll give you a flavor of what Burgundy's all about. Michael loves Chateau de Duff de Pop. Michael, that's one of Michael's favorites. Yep. Yes, it is. Very much enjoy that. Domaine Pagal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. that's a good that's a good recommendation, Michael. Any other thoughts for Tim? No, uh, Tim's good. Good listening to you. My scowl is, um, you know, very deep right now. After you know, maybe someday I'll be able to go on some of these trips with you guys. Uh, we've been trying to get you to go. I know, I know. He's got to work. You yeah, got somebody work. has to. Somebody <laughs> has. Someone's got to hold him for it. Uh, somebody's got to raise a family too. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does come into play from time to time, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I'm sure your wife wouldn't appreciate saying, "Hey, honey, I'm leaving for uh, ten days." <laughs> yeah, she's mad at me, not Michael. With, with my dad and my my adopted uncle. No, yes. we're we're gonna get him too. We we we're gonna take him for one trip. That's for sure. Anyway, yeah. Tim, thanks again. Uh, appreciate always your time. Always a pleasure, guys. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Timmy. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it, Tim. This has been fantastic. Um, I will say, Michael, Gen two, holding down the fort. That's what you're for. That's right. Yep. We we talk a lot about values. See, I I inherited the hard work ethic value, and that's what that's what it needs to happen. I taught it well. <laughs> that's right. That, that's legacy right there. Tim, hey, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I appreciate it. It was great listening to you. Always great information. It's like having an old friend here uh, on the podcast. There, got a quick announcement. The gentlemen know this, of course, but uh, I am going to be leaving the show, uh, and the, the reason is, is my wife and I were asked to go back to someplace we. Hold near and dear. We worked at Boys Town in Nebraska for almost 12 years before, uh, and that's a, a facility that helps raise at-risk youth. And so we had 68 young men through our program. The first time they have asked us to come back because just like every industry, it's hard to find folks that uh, can work. And so they've asked us to come back, and after a lot of prayer and consideration, we've said yes, and we're going back in full swing and going to be in a house with a bunch of teenagers again. I don't know if I'm young enough for that, John, but we'll find out. <laughs> I, I, I want updates every quarter from you. <laughs> you got it, brother. You got it. But uh, it has Best been wishes. an amazing journey uh, with these gentlemen on all these podcasts. And I, I hate to see it come to a close, but I've got a friend, Wendy McConnell, who's coming in to take over the show, help these guys do another hundred. I mean, we're over a hundred right now. I think we're at 108 guys, something like yeah. that, somewhere around there. Yep. And uh, Wendy, are you there? <laughs> uh, Wendy, you'll take care of it. You'll take care of it. This is going to be fantastic. So for those longtime listeners, I appreciate everything you've done. I hope that you reach out to John and Michael and connect with them and, and build that relationship. Uh, but from this point forward, you're going to hear Wendy's voice on the beginning and the end of these podcasts and during conversations, especially with guys like Tim coming on the show. Wendy, are you a wine lady? You're going to be soon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to be scary. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, again, everyone, thank you so much for the opportunity. John and Michael, it's been a pleasure. I thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for allowing me to be on this journey with you. And as always, one last time. 
Our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. American Portfolios and Copper Beach Financial Group are not affiliated with any other named business entities mentioned.